0: Welcome to The Rework with Allison Tyler-Jones, a podcast dedicated to inspiring portrait photographers to uniquely brand, profitably price, and confidently sell their best work. Allison has been doing just that for the last 15 years, and she's proven that it's possible to create unforgettable art and run a portrait business that supports your family and your dreams. All it takes is a little rework. Episodes will include interviews with experts from in and outside of the photo industry, mini workshops, and behind-the-scenes secrets that Allison uses in her portrait studio every single day. She will challenge your thinking and inspire your confidence to create a profitable, sustainable portrait business you love through continually refining and reworking your business. Let's do
1: the rework. Hi, friends, and welcome back to The Rework. Are you feeling a little burnt out? Are you ready for a vacation? Are you feeling like you're in a creative rut with your work and you just are going to die if you take one more of the same type of session? Maybe you just need a break. Maybe you just need to listen to this episode. This conversation that I'm having with my friend Drake Busaith from Busaith Photography in Salt Lake City, Utah. Drake is going to talk about how he gets out of creative ruts how he uses travel and personal projects to get him reinvigorated, to refill his creativity and bring him back to what he does for his quote-unquote day job with a new vision and new purpose. And I know you're going to find this very relevant to your own creative process. Let's do it. Welcome, Drake Busay. That's so great to have you back on the Rework Podcast. I'm so glad that you're here.
2: Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here.
1: Well, in between the last time that we talked and now, I've actually been to Salt Lake and taken a tour of your studio and met both of your boys, which was awesome. Such a great experience. I loved your studio. That was so much fun. Thank you for letting me do that.
2: That was a lot of fun for us too. We you know, everybody cleaned up the place a little bit, swept the floors, busted <laughs> the shelves. And uh, that, that was a lot of fun. It was an honor to have you. And I Ivan. Loved it. I yeah. love it. Yes,
1: he we both loved it. It was really great. So today what I wanted to talk about, I thought it's summer 2022. Hopefully people are back traveling again a little bit more. It feels like the world's coming to life a little bit more than we have been for the last two years. And one of the things that people may or may not know about you that are listening to this is that not only do you have a portrait studio, but you also have groups of people that you take through these Italian Italy workshops where you take them to like a photographic excursion. And you are a travel agent extraordinaire. Like there's no doubt in my mind, some of the most amazing travel experiences that I've had in my life have been as a direct result of your either advice or your leadership as we went through Italy. So wow. what I wanted to talk to about today is how specifically you as a photographer who has run a portrait studio for many years, uses the personal projects and travel and these kind of passion projects that you've gone off on over a period of years, what has maybe sparked that? What does that do for you? How does that keep you relevant, keep you interested, get you out of ruts, all of that sort of thing?
2: Yeah. Yeah. The burnout and the ruts, the two issues of my life, you know, burnout happens when I'm just doing too much work. Ruts are just a common problem for me when I'm because also of doing too much work, I just find myself doing the same thing over and over again. And creatives need to create, you know, not just reproduce. Right. And and I completely honor being a craftsman and recreating that same portrait for client after client after client. And I know that's, you know, a necessary part of our business, but I personally get bored of. with myself and I get frustrated that I'm not moving forward. And so I've always needed some kind of passion project. And so I'm glad you brought that up because, uh, that's been super important for me. I'm about 40 years now in this into the business and our studio is celebrating 50 years this wow. year. Yeah. And congratulations. You know, my, my parents started it, but technically I have been here all 50 years because I was in junior high. Yeah, you were. I was in the darkroom processing black and white film when we opened it in 1973. And so 50 years, you're going to run into some, fall into some ruts for sure. So,
1: so the, how do you identify that? Like, What are the symptoms in your mind of either a rut? You've said before that you think the ruts are the things that lead you to burnout. If you stay too long in a rut, then you burnout or like, what is the symptom for you? What does that look like in your world?
2: Well, I remember a lot of instances where I'm looking back through my work, especially when I was presenting to at conventions, you know, know, I'm going back through my work, picking images to show. And I realized that it's just all the same. It hasn't changed in the decade. And that's been a frustration to me. And, you know, I can always choose enough good images to put the show on, but in my heart, you know, I know that I haven't moved forward and then there are times when I've gone out and I I don't know if anyone listening could relate to this, but I've done, you know, maybe three sessions or four or five in a day and had to go out to the car, close the windows, roll the windows up and just scream, you know, <laughs> just absolute scream because I am completely fried on doing the same thing. I um You know, it's usually something like I just did a full day, the same exact day that I did in 1994, you know,
1: it's, <laughs> you're having groundhog day.
2: It's, it's groundhog day. And that's, that's a huge frustration for me. So it may not be for everybody, but in my heart, I am, uh, I have that need to create. So, so I've always looked for projects and, you know, opening a second studio was one that I needed in the nineties to satisfy that scratch that itch. And
1: so, okay. I so that. tell me about that.
2: Well, <laughs> that was somewhat successful. Kept it going for 15 years, but I eventually closed the shop because um, it wasn't moving forward. It was just static and just at a standstill. But I tried one one um, memorable failure. You know, an effort to to break out of the rut was trying to start a children's business, a complete separate children's studio chain. Okay. And we developed the product, we developed the business plan, we found locations and that, that that didn't get off the ground because I got sick and couldn't follow it through, but I have a feeling that it may not have <laughs> happened anyway. But I, you know, I think that what is common for me in my efforts to get out of ruts is um inviting danger into my life. Okay. I get Do it tell. Too safe. It gets just too common, too repetitive, too safe, and so like starting a second studio fifty miles away was uh, inviting danger.
1: Felt felt like danger, yeah. Until actual danger came into your life in the form of cancer,
2: and then I got, I had a real danger. But other passion projects. After that, I I was going around giving lectures, you know, at conventions in the days of uh, lots and lots of conventions, and I was in a rut doing that, feeling unsatisfied so we got together with some friends michael taylor and helen yancey and said let's do this in italy that was going out on a limb i'll never forget sitting on this bus the first year we tried this so we had a bus full of people strangers we picked up in rome and i'm sitting at the front of the bus in that little guide jump seat you know yeah and i've got both fingers crossed and my legs crossed and my <laughs> arms crossed and no idea what i was getting into i just knew we were going to. Um, a location I had never been before. We were visiting towns I had never seen before. I had been in Italy a lot, but not to this particular area in Tuscany. So that was inviting danger. And those are the most the most satisfying moments of my life when I've been way out on a limb like that and pulled it off. And so that's that's a memorable one. And that that's continued and and, and morphed into something different now. But it's also as I've done those workshops in Italy and now in the States, I'm doing them here too. I'm always going out on a limb and trying to teach something I really am not that expert at. Like what? (laughs) Like landscape photography. We started a number of years ago. My niece in St. George, Utah says, why don't we do, you know, you do these workshops in Italy. Why don't you do it here in your own backyard? It was the national parks and slot canyons and And I said, well, because I'm not really a a landscape photographer, you know, I'm a hobbyist that way. And but the idea grew on me. And so we we just advertised it. And all of a sudden I'm in the hot seat, you know, teaching landscape photography. So I had to learn very quickly some of the techniques that I didn't know. (laughs) And over the years. That's I definitely,
1: looking at the at your landscape work, I would not call you a hobbyist for sure.
2: Well, I forced myself into that dangerous position of of looking stupid in front of you know people that actually did know what they were doing, and and so it forced me out of my rut. It forced me to really learn some new skills, and so now we have we do that every year. It's called Utah Photo Workshops, and I have friends that help organize it. But I go out and pretend I'm a landscape photographer once a year. But I am, you know, I am, I'm not out backpacking all the time, you know, right. I'm not as, I haven't earned that title like, like some have that I really, truly respect, but I, it's, you know, it, and I, I'm honest about it with the workshop attendees that I don't make my living doing this. I'm a people photographer, but uh, this is something I do to get out of my rut, to sh- shake off the boredom and the burnout. And it's good for me.
1: It's good. And how how has that helped to go to a completely different discipline or the inviting danger when you come back from that? How has that helped you get out of the rut or avoid the burnout?
2: I find myself teaching these principles that help me. You know, in Italy, for instance, everyone comes with similar mindset. We all, us Americans and British do this. We stand in front of monuments and, and objects and we photograph them and we try to flatter them, you know, <laughs> we pretend we're the, we're the chamber of commerce photographers, right. you know, we're, we're, make, we're idealizing everything and we spend a week photographing things, objects. And so one of the lessons that I try to introduce real early in the workshop is stop photographing things and photograph light, photograph shadows, the shape of shadows the edge acuteness of shadows, photograph iconic shape and form, and make suggestive images rather than literal images. Mm -hmm. That is a lesson that I learned during the process of teaching these workshops is to be less literal, which is really healthy for a portrait photographer. We tend to spend all of our energy flattering the subject, and we end up with sort of a, oftentimes a fake, artificial kind of look. And even if we do get a likeness that's realistic, it could have more. It could have more suggestive cropping, more suggestive lighting. By that, I mean...
1: Like interpretive. Like it's a, cons- it's, there's a concept there versus right. not suggestive as exactly n- naked girls. <laughs>
2: yeah. Right. I got beauty. you. It, you know, a lot of recently, the last few years, I've had the strong feeling that I needed to let go of beauty a little bit mm. i've been so trained to capture make everything beautiful and flattering and just letting go of that a little bit in favor of, of interest and meaning y- yeah there you go ambiguity let's say yeah okay meaning yes but meaning it's hard it's hard to define that you know when you're in front of a, a river or a castle or a, a street when I'm over there photographing and I want to create something, let's call it fine art,
1: mm-hmm.
2: I have to go to this. This is this is something another lesson that I've I've really learned recently that I have to analyze the scene and think: Is this something that I would hang in my own bedroom? Right. Is this an image that me, that has some kind of meaning to use your word to me, or that at least has the flavor that I would hang? And knowing what I like is probably the hardest lesson for professionals that come on these workshops. We are so trained after a decade or two to know what the client's like and satisfy their needs that we forget what it is that we like. Mm, so I have every workshop. Yeah. Most workshops will have one or two professionals along with some amateurs. And and it's the professionals that can't answer that question very well. And that's the where I found myself is I don't know what I like. I am just shooting on commission and satisfying, you know, the clients' expectations. And yeah, I built those expectations a decade ago, but so over there getting out of the rut means shooting for myself and getting the judges out of my head. You know, I had to stop PPA print competition. I just had to stop it because it was keeping my world small.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
2: and I didn't know, you know, what I liked or if I if I dared enter what I liked. So I just stopped that. I had to get the clients out of my head and the judges out of my head, and that meant eventually it meant shooting more ambiguous images, less literal, less about the subject itself, and more about. And if if there is a subject in the image, leaving open canvas around it mm-hmm. uh, more than usual or cropping it dissectively, and you know not. And I come back to my portrait business with all of that in my head. And I am a better portrait photographer. I really am. I'm more interested in in the light play on the background, for instance. You know, mm-hmm. I'm seeing the field better after these experiences trying to create fine art.
1: Well, I remember you saying something about, it's such a valid point when you're saying, you know, we don't know what we want because we've just been doing... Serving clients and doing the same thing for a long period of time, especially if you're successful at it, if you're good at it. It's just like the band that's playing their hits at every concert. Everybody wants to hear the greatest hits. They don't want to hear the new stuff that you're trying out. You know, they want to hear the things that were the soundtrack of their childhood or their college or whatever. Um, so I feel like that when you start down that road of like, well, what do I really like? What really lights me up? I found that it's sometimes that starts from a place of what I know I don't like. I know I don't like Thomas Kincaid paintings. Mm -hmm. I know that I don't like literal landscape stuff, just exactly what you're saying. Like, if you want to take a picture of the Colosseum, buy the postcard because you aren't getting a better picture than that. (laughs) If you're going to do that, then what's your interpretation of that? Or what is, like, you're saying the light play or the feeling that you had when you were in the Eternal City and how you felt? Seeing that for the first time you had mentioned before at one of the presentations I had heard you give about when you went to Venice and how Mark Rothko's paintings had been like a very influential for you just like that play of light and shadow and that spare and it was more like you said suggestive of something rather than a literal interpretation of what is a more abstract interpretation right just
2: color blocking in that case where it's just color against color so isolating some kind of feeling is the challenge, right? That's a lot to ask somebody, go out and do, shoot something less literal.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I feel like it's important to get into the to the specifics a little bit. So some techniques that I, I use a lot, I try to explain isolation techniques. If, you know, we walk up to, walk into a space that, And this could apply with a portrait as well. Walk into a space in Italy, though, and down an alley or someplace that attracts you. And then just sit there for a few minutes before you start photographing. That's important. Experiencing a place with all your senses. Just Hmm. lean against the wall and feel the stone, the coolness of it. Listen to the ambient sound in that alley. Maybe there are voices coming out the windows or... Maybe you know there's a river nearby, or and then notice it from 180, you know, 360 degrees. Kind of stand there and look behind you, and then try to isolate what it is that's the essence of that place. And that's where you need some specifics. You know, you need to think. Well, can I isolate one color against another the way Mark Rothko did in his painting? Is that what's attracting me to this place? Maybe initially it was that really cool lamp and Mm -hmm. cobblestone and maybe there is laundry hanging out the window but maybe it's the color contrast in that laundry you know and it's a tight crop of that or my friend who used to travel on on these trips with me just recently passed away and he he was a complete amateur and started from scratch and he taught me they said that on one trip he described his experience with the cobblestones and the fact they were flat stones mixed with the cobble rough stones and the locals when it's raining would work walk on the the rough ones and mm. when they dry they would walk on the smooth ones and he got so caught up in that 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 was the essence of that town for him is the roads and so and he created some really interesting images of just these winding little roads looking down the entire time and never even saw the rest of the town you know Mm. but it's it's kind of isolating that the essence of that and then once you've figured out then we talk about even more technical specifics like isolating something with selective focus where you know we're going to open the aperture and let the background go soft and or isolate something the, the the object or the the laundry or the brick or whatever it is with selective lighting so we're going to Walk around until we find a strong directional light on that, or climb into a dark area and look out toward the light. So we've got selective uh, mm-hmm. directional light. So a little, you know, there are a bunch of those selective lessons that that really help people because it's it's really common to go on a photo workshop or, or tour and and have the instructor say, and I've I've gone on these, and the instructor says, "Let's do something more creative. You know, let's be creative." Yeah, <laughs> but I need uh, if I'm learning a new getting out of my comfort zone, I need some assignments, you know, I need right. some specifics.
1: Well, one of the things that is coming to my mind when you're talking about this is the first time I went to Europe, like the first couple of days, it was just like, oh, that's that thing, the Eiffel Tower or the whatever, like snap the thing, snap the thing, you know, just, it was almost like you're just visually just getting proof that you were there, I guess, It's yeah. just yeah. kind of like the little green, like emoji, check, check, saw that, saw that. And then I realized this is not satisfying me in any way. This is not, I feel like I'm an observer on my own vacation. I don't feel like I'm really inhabiting this place or feeling the spirit of the place that I'm in. And so then when I started to really just not do exactly what you're saying, but kind of like more selective things. Like in um, France to me is is flowers, you know, and there are flowers in this one little medieval town called Denon that we were in, it was in Brittany. The flowers were growing out of the street Uh grates, you know, these little beautiful flowers And so here's this ugly old crusty grate, and then, you know, a cobblestone walk or whatever. But these flowers were just coming out of the grate rather than weeds, it was flowers. And then these old stone walls that supported the city down by the river, all these different flowers. Some were hanging, some were growing up. And that just seemed like such a theme to me, you know, that floor, you know, that whole idea of floral. Mm -hmm. So then that's all I would see. And that just, I felt like then everywhere I went, as I went more into that detail, I felt like I had visited it better. Yeah. I'd experienced it more. And so by the end of the trip, I felt like if I was, a, we had a tired day and I hadn't really photographed a lot of where I had been, I didn't feel like I had visited it quite as well mm-hmm. as I did when I was really observing those. So what you're describing is actually a better experience.
2: Yeah, it's a better experience. Yeah. You know? And it, it, traveling with a the camera then makes sense. You're not working anymore. Because it's work to try to record everything, right? Right. The Eiffel Tower. Now you've got to get a better picture of the Eiffel Tower than the average Joe because you're mm-hmm. a professional.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So now you've got to walk a quarter mile backwards so you can frame it in these buildings. And, and in the end, are you going to hang that in your bedroom? Is that going in your personal space? Right. Maybe, maybe you want, maybe it's yeah. meaningful, but probably it's the flowers growing out of the grate. Yeah. That And every, everybody's different. I, I, I'll say that. I said that to uh, several groups and then one then visited a guy and I would say, you know, sunset, for instance, sunsets, Do you, are you going to hang a big color saturated sunset in your bedroom? Probably no. not. It's, yeah. And then I went in this guy's apartment and he had a big saturated <laughs> color. Sunset. (laughs) Some people do, but that's more about accomplishment of the 225 photographers that shot this scene today. I want to be the best, you know? Right. I want to beat them all, and then Instagram it and just show everybody my skills. And that way of traveling is just work. It's just work. And the way you're describing, if you can get the judges out of your head, and I don't mean just the PPA judges. I mean, yeah, your
1: own inner critic.
2: Your families, because that's usually who we're thinking of. We're thinking of, let's impress everybody when we go home. Sure. Like you said, we saw this and this and this. And us that are in the profession, we're trying to impress them with our skills too. And this just becomes a task. So I had to give that idea up of impressing people at home because go home and show them the flowers coming out of the grate and it'll be meaningful to, you know, 20% of my family and the others will think uh i've lost my marbles you know (laughs) i'm doing a lot of my my personal my less literal work is a lot of camera movement Mm -hmm. which is kind of a caught on as a movement lately intentional camera movement icm it's pretty popular now which i think is silly to say intentional of course it's intentional
1: it's like the off-camera ocf off-camera flash
2: yeah there you go
1: well, or IPS, in-person sales. Everything's got to have an acronym.
2: But a lot of times you find yourself in situations where it's kind of mundane and touristic. And and so shooting with the blurs, I call it schmear. It takes that mundaneness out of an image and leaves me with the impression of the place.
1: Yeah. Well, I love the stuff that you just recently posted from your trip to Siena that were like those images on Instagram, because with those costumes and the polio, that whole thing going on, it's so beautiful and so picturesque, but I mean, has not it not been photographed 50 million times? And so you, and then the image that you so kindly gave me when I came to visit you, that's being at the Framers right now, that will be hanging in my house. Oh, nice. It has that feeling, that energy, that movement. I really love that. The one that you gave me is more of like light hitting a wall. And then there are people walking down that wild city. Mm-hmm. I, I really felt like that really capture the spirit of the place so good well if
2: if it's in your closet and i come to visit i expect you to bust it out
1: no it's going to be on the wall (laughs) it's on the i already already have i've got plans
2: well yeah it's interpretive so how do you apply that to your portraits when you come home and that's been really meaningful to me when i come home i am a better photographer i know i am for you know a month or two and then i have to go back to italy yes (laughs) recharge
1: yes oh darn
2: But I allow myself, I find, to uh, invite danger into a session.
1: What does that look like?
2: Well, you've got somebody who's dressed their children. Let's say it's a young family. The other day, I did a a job. It was a pro bono job for a hospice group. Then the baby had a heart defect and is terminal. And Mm. So it's a hard situation to go into, but beautiful young family and and they have certain expectations and there's no reshooting this, you know? So right. it's dangerous in the first place. We've all felt that. And then I want to take it to another level of danger and say, I'm going to try something new. Mm-hmm. I'm going to use a wider perspective lens because I'm inspired because of this self project I'm working on in Italy and just I was working on last month. And so I'm going to try the same kind of feel where I'm working real close to them. And I'm going to get uh, some distortion, you know, and his legs Mm going to come forward and his foot's going to be real large. And I'm inspired by other photographers that work that way. It's not like I'm inventing this, but I am going to decide before I get in the house, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm not going to fall back into my rut of four people grinning at the camera. I'm going to get some perspective and that wide perspective, I'm going to let the expressions be a little less grinny and I'm going to be a little more interpretive about the situation here. And, and the baby is going to be the center of attention and the two-year-old is just going to have to, I don't care if I see the back of her head or whatever, right. then, then they have a great Dane, right? The great Dane, two-year-old. two-year-old
1: oh, yeah, right. You know, That's just Tuesday at three. That's just normal.
2: Is it for you? You live no, on the edge, but you know
1: it's crazy. That's what well, like you and I always talk about. Like I usually tuto- try to make me the tutorials where they have like the be beautiful models. Safer, you know, you know come you're to
2: like my gardens, or I know what's going to happen, yeah. and where are these clothes? And but anyway, that that was an experience last week that was that I just found. I thought this is fun. I'm on the edge. I feel alive when I'm mm-hmm. in a dangerous situations. So, and I don't even know if I succeeded the, that session or not, but uh, but I think it, it doesn't matter because well I know we I know we got enough we reached that yes that level I don't know if I
1: succeeded in being in satisfying yourself productive. yeah yeah we'll see but I think that's such a good point because when you're first starting out in photography it's so hard you know you're just trying to get the math and get an image and try to figure it out and everything feels like danger. It's danger all the time, which you don't realize until you've reached a level of mastery that actually that's kind of the fun part is the conquering of all of those things. And you get the accident when you, you know, I remember hearing a quote that like the difference between good photographers and great photographers is great photographers know how to recreate their mistakes because Mm -hmm. you saw the mistake and you're like, oh, that was because I lit it from a 45 degree angle at the rear and I'll just do that again, you know, rather than like, oh, I wonder how that that happen? So um, when it feels less dangerous, then it's easy to just, like you said, you can walk in and do it with your eyes half closed. And how do we make ourselves do something different? You know, I think we all could say that we would like more really great qualified leads. But what happens when we get contacted by a potential new client? We sometimes have that pit in our stomach of Oh, it's not a good time right now. I don't want to call them. What if they ask me hard questions? Oh, I don't really know that I have the words to say. And we put it off until we call and they've already booked somebody else. Or maybe we don't ever call or we're just letting things fall through the cracks. So if you're ever find yourself in this type of situation and you feel like, I just don't know the words to say, or I don't know how to talk to these people Or am I doing it wrong? I have a solution for all three of those things. If you go to do the rework.com, we have three different free resources for you. One is our ultimate client consultation guide that is going to help you step by step walk that prospective client through your process, how it is that you work. It has all the little speed bumps, so to speak, along the way to help you remember to say all the things that you need to say. Next is our cheat sheet of frequently asked difficult questions that has an exhaustive list of all the hard questions that clients come up with that will help you get started on answering those confidently so that you don't have that feeling in the pit of your stomach anymore. And you're going to pick up that phone immediately. And lastly is our sales sabotage evaluation tool. And that is going to help you to figure out where you are screwing it up because we all do at one time or another. So go to rework.com. and wherever you're at in your business, if you're needing to rework your message, if you're needing to rework your answers, if you're needing to rework your sales process, they are all right there on that very first page. They are free. They are resources to help you in your business. Go do it. Download them now and start doing better. Start booking those clients confidently and start selling them your gorgeous, beautiful work because they need it. So you came back and you did this portrait session and you're just pushing yourself. You know, shorter lens was the example in this case, but is that, was that inspired by something you had seen in travels or it was just like, I'm just breaking with what I would normally do. I just want to do something completely different. Or did you have Uh, an idea in mind?
2: Yeah, it was inspired by street photographers and I've never been a true street photographer. I've spent a lot of time on the streets in Europe photographing you know candidly but I made my living with a 70 to 200 for the most part and yep. and so short lens it doesn't sound like much to some photographers but it's a, it's a dramatic change it's
1: dramatic yeah, for, yeah dramatic for me too same doing
2: portraits with a 35 millimeter for instance so lately recently I took on a self-project in Italy and I've given it a name character it's basically portraits of old people with character in Italy, and I want to photograph them in their own space and with natural light, with without any artificial lights or reflectors. I want to shoot it handheld. I want to shoot it in the, in the mode, in the method of the great street photographers. I'm close to them, so I've got a lot of gathering, a lot of story, you know, with this wider perspective, but I'm close up, and, you know, it's a freedom for me to pursue that. It's out of my comfort zone, but it's also really enjoyable to let go of perfect lighting Mm -hmm. and flattering. It's like, like I was saying, letting go of beauty. That's, Mm -hmm. that's been this journey that I've been on. So uh, I've been over, I was there in the fall doing sessions. It did about 15 of these sessions. And then I did a few more this last month and it's going to be a book project and I'm going to mix it with photographs of the actual streets and the walls and the accidental architecture, you know, the wiring on the exterior yeah. building and the plumbing on the exterior and the all that character that is part of, you know, these villages that Italians know how to preserve and not cover up. Yeah. The peeling plaster and the mismatched brick and stone. And so that all relates to this, these portraits. And I think it, that'll be a fun collection. For years, for 20 years, I've really separated my life. And I think maybe some listeners could relate to this, that portrait photographers are not considered fine art photographers, at least not in right. the, where I travel. And so right. I sort of hid the fact that I made my living making portraits on commission. Mm-hmm. And so I can talk to these people who are fine art photographers, right? Right. Like they're like a few rungs above me on the the, the art ladder or something. And I really had that sort of sense of insecurity about what I did until recently. And, and that's a lot of years to feel that. But it finally dawned on me that I'm good at portraits. I'm good at working with people. I have a lot of skills and I can apply that. I just have to let go of the beauty flattering part mm. to make these fine art. And by, by fine art, I just mean images created for me and not for the client.
1: Well, and I saw a few of those when I was at your studio. And when you say, as soon as you said earlier, you know, letting go of beauty, I was thinking of, there were a couple of images in particular of these guys. I don't know if they were in a factory or there was some kind of machinery. farm, just their farm, I think, yeah. And they were not technically beautiful. Mm-hmm. But there was something so real about those images that made those men beautiful. That it was like you really could see who they were in a way that the beautifully backlit old grandma with the babushka, you know, with the garden flowers or next to her, it just doesn't quite convey. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I just really loved those images. I felt like they were very. I, could, some, I can't really describe it.
2: Well, there's some awkwardness that contributes to that, I think, mm-hmm. that's refreshing to me. The way a 75-year-old man who's worked all his life on the farm, his hands are dirty, and he's got his you know, overalls on, and, and he stands in this real awkward sort of uh, hunched way at the mm-hmm. camera, and that's, that's beautiful because yeah. if he's doing it in that situation... Yeah. If you put a suit on him and put him in the studio; it wouldn't work, you know. Right. So it's not traditional beauty, but it, it's. I agree with you. It's it's just beautiful to see these people in their in their livelihood that's that's long term. So we've we've recorded video on these folks to to record the details of their lives, and that's important to me because I think knowing their story makes them more beautiful to the viewer. You know,
1: mm-hmm.
2: knowing that they remember the war and they remember. Like, sorry if you start me on this road, I'll talk all day. But, <laughs> but uh, those are those are beautiful experiences. And again, I come home after those, and I can allow a little bit of that awkwardness in a session, and not say, "Let's bring your right foot forward and point your toe to the camera, and create a beautiful diagonal with your left leg." You know, your right leg, or let's cross your feet the opposite way. I can allow some awkwardness if it contributes to the story.
1: Well, I think just, I want to reiterate what you just said is that knowing their story makes them more beautiful. And that's great for you that heard the story, but I would contend that the images that you're making are also telling that story. Like I did not hear their story. I don't know who these people were, but in every one of those images, I felt there was an honesty or like a unvarnished feel to each one of those where I felt like I kind of knew a little bit about that person. And to me, that's the most successful portraiture is that bit of honesty where it, it, it isn't quite polished, which, you know, I, I've never done print competition. So anybody looks at my stuff and is like, yeah, no kidding. That's... Well, you've
2: you've been a huge inspiration to me and I think you've moved me that direction. So I I do, I channel your style and your thinking quite often when I'm shooting.
1: Well, thank you for that. that, But I need a little more. I think we help each other, right? You know, I need probably a little more polish, and sometimes, and maybe you need a little less or whatever. But that's the beauty of traveling seeing how other people live, I think that's another really interesting thing that I hadn't traveled a lot when I was younger. It wasn't only has been in the last 10 years that I've really done more traveling and to just see how other people live and what they value. Mm -hmm. And even down to Americans, everything needs to be new. You want to redo your house, take everything out of it, scrape out the old and put in the new, whereas everybody's so precious about their marble countertops, you know, oh my gosh, are you sealing it? Oh, you can't ever have a lemon on it or whatever. I'm like, have you ever been to Paris? The bars that have been there for like 200 years, I think the marble's going to be okay. It has you know? character. Yeah, it It does. Those, those images that you created have that layer. And then how can we bring that into our own work is can we see the layers of personality or in the people or the families that we photograph?
2: Yeah. And we allow it. It's that same concept of just sitting there for a minute with them and not making assumptions, but trying to find the essence of, especially with a group, how they relate to each other. To me, that's the essence of the image that needs to be told. Not just flattering each one of them individually. Mm. You know, I I learned you know early on. I learned that you create you put a group together in a triangle, and if you face them away from each other, it's easier to form a triangle. Uh, that's so stupid. You know, it's just yeah so dumb to have a group of people in the same picture that are facing away from each other. Why would you do that? So it's the opposite now. Yeah, it creates maybe a little more group uh, design issue for you, but. But you give that up, you know, you give up that nineteen seventies ideal of that group shape sometimes. And that's where you've rubbed off on me right there. <laughs> well <laughs> it's the it's the it's reality that's important. Uh five years, especially five years, ten years, fifteen years later.
1: Right. Eight. Well, I do think of that too, because I think of the portraits that I have that my mom had done when we were growing up and where, you know, those guys like probably like former electrical engineers that are now the only ones that can run those cameras, the Mamias and all that, you know, we're doing their second career and they're not putting up with any kid acting any which way, you know, it's like, you're going to sit here and you are going to do what I tell you to do. Yeah. And you're like, sit down, shut up and smile. You know, that's it. The hair is all to perfection. And I remember that not being the most pleasant experience. And then having kids that are differently abled and realizing there's no way I could ever get my kids to do that quote unquote normal stuff. And so then when you look back, the favorite images, the images that are legend in our family are not. We still love those. We love those formal portraits, but the stuff of legends are the ones that my dad caught or that were like told more of a story, or maybe it was a proof from that same photo session where some kid was throwing themselves on the floor or pinching somebody else. It was like that moment between that showed something real. And that definitely influenced my work for sure.
2: And that you could use those same words to describe successful travel photography, especially street photography. You're looking for quirkiness and character and oddball moments and awkwardness. And those are the ideals. And so, a street photographer coming back into a studio to do a, a portrait of a teenager or a child or a family might have some real things to teach us, you know? They might be on the floor with a Twenty-four millimeter, really close to the subject, and letting you know, letting the dark silhouette of this child frame the other child, and so incorporating those to that uh, discipline into studio work is fascinating to me. When you were here, did you see my um, passion project wall? a bunch of black and whites pinned up on. Yes,
1: I was going to talk about that. That's on my list to talk about. Yeah, I love that wall so much.
2: I was worried about. I I wondered how you would. Judge that.
1: I loved it. I thought it was so cool. You said you were about to take it down.
2: Well, to swap it out for another one. Okay. Can I describe it? Yeah. It's a. It's just a hallway, a long wall that the clients walk past a lot on their way to and from, and it's usually had framed images up on it. And I was frustrated because I, well, I would have, I would have an image I wanted to show, but I didn't want to invest in framing it, mounting it hanging it with other like images. Right. So I just started printing these because we print in house. So I can print a canvas with the white border around it and just push pin it to the wall. And so then that ended up just a whole wall, floor to ceiling. You layered white, them. Long.
1: So they're all black and white. They're all drop dead gorgeous. Well, they're all, they're not, they're all all, drop. They, they are, they're,
2: they're experimental. I was
1: there. I was there. They're all drop-dead gorgeous. And they're all kind of like layered, almost like collage-wise on this wall. So it's very arresting. It's really cool.
2: They're just pinned on top of each other. And I can pull one off and put a new one up any day of the week. You know, I see, oh, this would be a good, this is kind of a strong and black and white. So I send it to the lab and pin it up and pull it, another one down. And they're in a theme. And when the black and white theme comes down, I'll put up these character portraits from Italy or senior, you know, graduate pictures that are, that they didn't choose, let's say <laughs> that mom Ooh, would never That's a good about.
1: idea. That would be or, my favorite wall.
2: Yeah. Or like you're talking about little interpretive travel pictures mm. because the clients need to see that we're passionate about the work and it's not all, we're not all in gold leaf frames with hand embellishments and it's not all institutional here. They really want a photographer that's got some passion for fine art, I think. That's what I would want. So
1: Yeah. So we no, have it. That.
2: We don't show it. It's sitting in our computers and I I think that can be fun. And it, it'll be there are other photographers will put up a show, but it's not a static show. It's like a rotating show and and it'll be up for a year with uh and it'll have new pictures pinned up every time they come to the surface, you know?
1: Well, I love that idea because like you said, it, it introduces an element of danger in that you're putting up what you could maybe say would be experimental yeah. pieces, definitely not your normal stuff that you're doing for clients. So that's an element of danger, but also without much risk as far as like, you're not saying I'm committing to put this as a sample on my wall for the next three years because I'm framing it and lighting it and all of that. It's literally push pinned up there. So I think there's so many cool ways that you can do that, that I just loved it. I am I took a picture of that wall. Do you mind if I post that on the show notes so that people can see what it looks oh, like?
2: That'd be great, sure. That'd be okay?
1: okay, we'll definitely post that on the wall.
2: I was worried about that because I thought smart salespeople would show what they want to sell. Yeah. You know, that's what we've always learned. Right. And if, if if I want to sell 30 by 45, that's what I better have on the wall. Right. So, and not just a push pinned snap, um, with a white border pinned up with push pin, you know? Yeah. So I was curious to see how you would react to that. I thought you might come in and say, Drake, you're killing your sales here, you know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know. It says the heartless businesswoman. No, but the soul of the artist looked at that and was like, oh, I love that so much because I think we all love a mood board. We all love an it's installation. A, yeah, it's, just, it's, it's, it's an installation. That's yeah, it, exactly.
2: It's, yeah. it's a giant mood board for the clients to see. Yeah,
1: uh, Yeah. So there's nothing about that piece of work or that wall that I think would even translate into somebody coming in. Oh, can I buy one of those? it definitely was very much had the feel of you have this work in progress or this kind of mood board feel to it. So I don't think it, you were in any danger.
2: Hey, I'm happy to know. I know. Well, I relieved.
1: I know. Well, you know, you know, honestly though, you know, I I tell you
2: that was, that was (laughs) inviting danger into my life, allowing you into the studio period. <laughs> oh, you're
1: so like crap. Oh my gosh. No, it was so great. And you say I've influenced you, which is a huge compliment, but really you you have influenced me so much by just that observation, that idea that when you go into some place or even into a session, that you know, my personality is just charge ahead, move fast, you know, get what you need, do what you're doing. And you definitely have more of that chill energy where you can sit back and observe. And I think there's such a value in that to observe and see what's going on. And, you know, whether it's in travel or in a portrait session, and the lessons that you've highlighted today, these projects that you're working on, I think are really going to be super helpful to our listeners to helping them avoid their own ruts or get out of them or avoid burnout because I think we're all a little burnout.
2: Yeah. For sure, yeah it's it's the common malady in our business and and we really need to we really need these little passion projects for me constantly twice a year kind of a thing.
1: I love that. So, is there anything else that you would advise our listeners in this area? Whether it's travel photography, passion projects, anything that you would want to leave them with?
2: I think taking on a project in your own hometown without traveling is is uh, important as well, because it can really play into your business success. Like my dad did a project in the 80s called Honors in the Arts, and he volunteered it. He proposed it to the Chamber of Commerce where he would photograph. They would choose artists or contributors to the arts in Utah, and uh, he would photograph them and they would honor those people at a banquet for three or four or five people each year. And that turned into 50 large portraits that hang now in Symphony Hall in a Bravenel Hall downtown. And and so it was important to his career in developing his style. He was way out on a limb. He was photographing a sculptor in his studio. He didn't have experience with that at the time. And or an artist out in the field painting plein air or all sorts of lighting challenges and but it was huge for, for the development of our business as well. You know, we've been talking about, a stat, you know, satisfying your own, scratching your own creative itches. But this really did turn into a business success for us. and And that established us really in town as it was because of the subject matter, it got a lot of media attention and these big gala banquets that where where they would announce them. And Mm -hmm. so I would suggest that, and I'm looking for my next project is is similar to that. And I've got one in the works now called faces of change, and it will kind of follow this character's project for me, but I've got to kind of do one at a time, I think in that, in that mode, but it can really be effective and i think the crazier the better you know the the nuttier the more off the wall the subject matter is the better
1: uh, or the more out of your own wheelhouse
2: yeah the, you know yeah uh because you need to get attention these days and more so than in the 80s that was it was easier then but today it might be skateboarders that
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know that no one knows how creative and talented they really are or you know highlighting Somebody in the community that is interesting to look at um that's so I, I I like that as a I like that as a passion project, and people that are providing service in the community that don't get noticed there' that's my faces of change concept. Mm. I don't want to photograph celebrities at this point in my life Mm-mm. I think that's you know that's a pretty good business model if you could do it, but it bores me here
1: yeah um, i've that's never been attractive to me. I'm like, give me the not as cute give me the manager of the celebrity and their not as cute wife with their couple of their kids. That's that I'd rather photograph real people than not right. that celebrities aren't real people, but you know, you know,
2: who's the king of that. Michael Taylor, just, mm-hmm. he just, I just saw a collection of his uh, behind the scenes. Maybe. Is that what it was called? It's people in the theater that make the show run you mm-hmm. know, and it's not the star of the show and is fantastic. and And he's always worked in that vein, you know, he's been doing that for as long as I've known him.
1: Yeah. He's a master.
2: Yeah. He's, he's fantastic at it, but I love the, the subject matter that he chose, you know, that it's, it's not celebrity and, and we can all chase celebrity and we know that we'd get more attention doing that. Yeah. We're judged by who's in front of our camera a little bit. So that's another, another thing you got, that's the safe way to go. Yep. But, Inviting danger is is uh, Inviting more danger.
1: interesting. Inviting danger. Okay. This is a totally like off topic, but I think, have you ever seen the documentary 20 Feet from Stardom? No. So it won the Academy Award, I don't know, maybe five or seven years ago. And it's all about the backup singers from like Bruce Springsteen, Michael Jackson, whoever like all of these famous famous people and the, and then they're talking about uh, Rolling Stones mm. all these backup singers the music is ridiculous it's so good and then they're interviewing these and some of these people like Luther Vandross used to be a backup singer their son that made it to the made it to the 20 feet you know to start him but most of them didn't and how they just had the stories from the uh one of the Rolling Stones famous songs like this woman that Oh, I can't remember the song, but she showed up. She's like pregnant, shows up in curlers because they needed a backup singer. And she starts riffing with Mick Jagger. I mean, it is so good. So it kind of goes along with that. But that's, but that's another place for inspiration too. I feel like film yes. and documentaries and things like that, the behind the scenes, how things work, the story behind something I think is really good for inspiration for portrait photographers so that you can kind of get behind that just the pretty facade.
2: Exactly. That's really a great theme, a great word to take into a session with you. Documentary. How can I channel a little bit of that in a portrait session? Uh, that's really meaningful. I'll look that up. 20 feet yeah. from stardom.
1: Yeah. 20 feet from stardom. 2013 American documentary. Hey, nine years ago. That yeah. Was, okay. That tells Thank you that you I'm you. old Makes when I said it was five better. to seven I'm years ago. I'm not remembering yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I think you'll you'll love it. It's all the music from it it's just really, really, really well done, really inspiring. as are you, miss uh, the, the Drake and we just saw the Seinfeld episode last night was the rerun was about the Drake, and <laughs> we love the Drake
2: uh, that's so fun. you know I've never seen that, but I've you heard about it, it. Uh, forever. I used to show up at weddings, and people after that episode came out, and people were. Yeah, you know, like
1: we love the ah, Drake. We love the
2: Drake. Yeah. I didn't know what they were talking about.
1: Yeah. Well, I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate you taking the time to share with our audience because it it means a lot. I think, you know, when we try to do what we do for a living is, is hard and it can wear you down. It takes a lot of my friend Kim Wiley said to me one time, she says, pieces of my soul are hanging all over the city that I live in. And and I think that's true. You know, when we do our job to the best of our ability, it takes it out of us. And at some point that's gotta be replenished. And if it's not, then we're gonna burn out. So I really appreciate you giving of your time and talents and suggestions. And we're gonna post all that stuff on the show notes so everybody can look at it.
2: Thank you for having me. It's always fun to talk to you.
1: I appreciate you so much. Thank Bye-bye. you. Have I told you lately how much I appreciate you being here? I know that you have so many demands on your time and so many demands on your attention. You could be watching Netflix. You could be listening to a true crime podcast, but you've spent time here at The Rework learning to make your portrait business better. And that really means a lot to me. If there's somebody that you feel like could benefit from this episode, that you could help them and help us spread the word in helping other portrait photographers build better businesses please go to where you're listening to this episode and hit that share button and share it with them. And if you have time and can give us a review, you don't even understand how much that means to a little tiny podcast like ours to see those reviews and see how we're helping. And if you have another minute and can send me a DM and let us know what you would like to hear in the future, what you really enjoyed hearing about, maybe things that weren't that great, how we can do better. We always want to do better. And we always want to support the portrait photography industry and in helping you build the best businesses ever. Thanks again so much for being here.
0: You can find more great resources from Allison at do the rework.com and on Instagram at do dot the dot rework.